church experience online. We're so happy that you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you'd like to access helpful growth step resources, join a serving team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our church experience worship original songs. We hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned. Thanks again for joining us at Church Experience Online. a crazy moment the other night. I was dead asleep and then all of a sudden I woke up feeling cold. Now I get cold kind of easy and I was thinking why am I so cold? And I realized that Jennifer had uh, unintentionally pulled the sheets half off my body. So naturally I thought well I'll just pull the sheets back over my body so I'm warm. So I grabbed the sheets and I pull in my direction and I'm feeling good like now I'm warm but the problem is she's, she's asleep so she thinks I'm stealing her covers as she feels them being pulled my direction. So she grabs them in her sleep and she pulls them back her way. Well, now I'm cold again. I think, well, that's not going to work. So we get into this tug of war where I grab the sheets and I pull them. And then she grabs the sheets and she kind of pulls them her way. And then she did this thing where she put her arm like down next to her body so I couldn't pull the sheets anymore. And I think, okay, this is not good because if I'm cold, I'm not going to be able to sleep. But I don't want to really wake her up. She's doing all this in her sleep, and if I wake her up, she has a hard time falling back asleep. So I'm kind of in this dilemma. What am I going to do? And so I just kind of gently pull at it, and then she's kind of pulling back. I'm thinking, man, I'm not stealing the sheets. Like, you don't realize it, but you stole the sheets. And I'm like, she's never going to believe me in the morning. Like, in the morning, she's going to say, you stole my sheets last night. And I'm going to be like, no, I didn't. You stole my sheets. And that's how it's going to go down. And so I thought, I know what I'm going to do. This is what every normal human being would do. <laughs> I picked up my iPhone, and I made a video. <laughs> I really did. I, I just filmed it. Look, hey, you got all the sheets. And I stopped it. And I said, I'm like, this is going to be good in the morning. We're going to have this whole, like, who stole whose sheets. And I'll be like, I got proof. And that's kind of how it went down. Because we woke up in the morning. I said, hey, you took my sheets last night. She's like, no, you took my sheets. I said, actually, check this out. I made a video. She said, you did what? You made a video? You made a video in the middle of the night? And she shamed me. She, she thought about evasion of privacy. I mean, she shamed me into deleting the video. She didn't even want to watch it. I never got the satisfaction, you know? And I think maybe that was her plan all along that I would, I would delete it. Well, the funny thing is the next night, I think I overcompensated without realizing it because we both woke up in the middle of the night and the sheets were all the way on the floor on my side of the bed. <laughs> I totally didn't remember it. I apparently pulled the sheets so far in my direction, they're like laying on the ground. You know, most, uh, most conflict in our lives come from this very, this very thing, although humorous in this scenario, it's not so funny when you get in a conflict with someone and you have your side and they have their side and you're both seeing it in two different ways from two different angles and no one's willing to see the other person's perspective. 
And I think a lot of the tension, a lot of the conflict in our relationship with God, a lot of the problems and resulting consequences that hurt us when it comes to our spiritual journey comes from this very same dynamic. We're pulling against God saying, oh God, my plans are better for me. But God, in his loving way, is compelling us, saying, no, my plans are better for you. And we're saying, no, God, I want my way. And God's saying, just trust me, my way is better. And we have this spiritual tug of war that's going on all the time in our lives where we, we in our flesh, want to do what we want to do. We want to do things our way because we think our way is actually better. But in the end, what we're trying to get to is we're trying to have a greater understanding and trust in God and who he is and in his name. That in his name we can trust because he knows better. And really, I had this in your notes. This is the heart of it. We're, we're trying to get to a surrendered life. And maybe you want to write that down. A surrendered life, which is my way under God's way. My way under God's way. My name under his name. God, your way is better. I trust in you. You know better for me than I do. It's really an act of surrender where we put our lives into God's hands and we trust him. And that's really what spiritual maturity is. It's learning to trust God more all the time, saying, God, I know that you know what's better for me than what, what I know. And so we learn to live a surrendered life and, and we can come to trust that his way is better. His way is best all the time. It's always best. It's the very best. You might remember that classic Christmas movie, The Elf. <laughs> where the main character, the elf, he walks into this store in New York City and they have a sign out front of their store, probably like many stores had, that says, world's best coffee. And it was really just an advertising slogan, but he took it literally. <laughs> and he walks in to congratulate them. Trade them for a package of sunshine and ravioli. Macaroni, if you want the thing you love. You, you did it! Congratulations! World's best cup of coffee. Great job, everybody. It's great to meet you. Hi. It's so funny that he literally walks in to say, congratulations, you did it. The world's best coffee. It's awesome. Now, the funny thing is that was just a slogan and they didn't really have the best coffee ever. They were shocked to see him come in and congratulate them because they knew and everybody knew that it wasn't the best. But when it comes to God's ways, it's not a generic slogan. It's not a spiritual cliche. God's ways are better than our ways. It's a reality. Every single time, God's way for you is better than your way for you. And if I can spiritually mature to a place of full surrender where I can say, God, your will be done. Not Brandon's will be done. <laughs> not what all my friends think should happen, but God, what you think should happen. Your will, your will is always better. It's always the best. And part of the reason for that is God's ways, they are in the end going to lead me to his presence, to a relationship with him. We talk about our church in the sense of a mission, being a movement, not an organization. We're, we're on a mission to help more people experience a full life in Jesus Christ. Full of what? Full of his presence, his power, his peace and his joy. Full of the presence of God. And not only that, full of the blessing of God. Because God loves to bless his kids and he loves to pour in his goodness and his kindness into our lives. And so as we fill up on his blessing, he points us to the one who is the blesser, the provider. And so God wants to 
pour into your life. He wants to show you a better way. It doesn't mean it's a road that won't be marked with problems and setbacks and, and, and needs, but God is our provider. And when we find that he is all that we need, his way, whether it leads us through uh, trouble and hardship or abundant blessing, whether it leads us to persecution or incredible experiences, through, through the ups and downs, the mountaintops and the valleys, we find that God's presence is everything we need in His way, which leads us to His presence, is actually the best because He is what our soul really wants and really needs. So in this teaching series and this theme of talking about the name of God, we're, we're trying to learn more about who God is and what He has for us. And if we could just learn more about Him, we learn to trust Him more. And if we can learn to trust Him more, that's going to lead us down a better road, a better path in life. We've been studying the book of Isaiah, and we're going to go there again today in the book of Isaiah, chapter 44. Look down together at verse 6, where it says, This is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. We talked that first week about how God's an almighty God. He's over everything, all-powerful. The Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Everyone say first. Everyone say first. He's the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare it and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? So he sets himself apart from anyone else because he, outside of time, he knows all things. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And it goes on, he says, you are my witnesses. Talking to this nation of Israel, you're my witnesses. You've seen what I've done. Is there any God besides me? And then this omniscient, all-knowing God says, no, <laughs> there is no other rock. I know all things. And what does he say? I know not one. I know not one. I know of no other God. So God goes to great lengths here to emphasize a really important theological truth about his name. There is only one true God. One true God. And his ways are always right. It's so important. It's a bedrock of our understanding spiritually that's going to allow us to build a spiritual house of obedience. Because until we know that there's only one God and that his way is always the right way, then we're always going to have that spiritual tug of war where we want to do it our way. And why? Why would we do it our way if God's way is actually better? It's because in reality, we believe that our way is going to lead to more comfort, uh, a better situation, something we prefer better. But until we understand that God's way is always going to be better in the end, in the long term, we're going to struggle with obedience and we're going to be in a spiritual tug of war. So he goes to great lengths here to describe that, that there is only one right way, and that's my way. So what God says to his people. I ran into the grocery store the other day to, to get some milk for one of my kids, and they need a certain kind of milk, and I went to the, the, the milk part of the store, and I, I was just kind of amazed. I knew this was a reality now, but this kind of amazed, kind of has a flashback to childhood where you go in and you choose, like, do you want the big jug or the little jug? And I looked there on the, on the shelf, and it's amazing. I mean, there's like coconut milk. There, there, there's soy milk, there's chocolate milk, there's strawberry milk, there's goat milk, there's half percent, one percent, whole percent, there's the blue cap, the gray cap, there's all kinds of stuff. There's almond milk. Like who'd have thought of making milk out of almonds? I mean, there's all these options that you have to choose from. 
And it's really just a, a sample of what it's like in our society now. We don't all watch the same few news stations now. There's just a, a ton of different options when you're, when you're looking at a show or a movie. You can stream stuff, music. It's not just a few FM radio stations. There's an abundance of different music you can stream. There's, there's so many options in our culture now. There's so many different paths, so many different ways. I mean, whatever you want, you can get, and you can get it instantly. It's not just the same two options there used to be. There's a lot of options in every category of life. And think about how that's infiltrated our spiritual lives. Hey, you know, that's, that's cool that that's true for you, but that's not true for me. Well, I'm glad that you believe that, and that's good, but, but I believe something different. This, this belief for me works for me, and that works for you. Everybody just kind of choose your own adventure. It's like a spiritual buffet. We just kind of pick and choose what we want, and that's the culture that we live in. And that's not just in the spiritual world. That's in every area. We have all these paths, all these options. And what God is trying to say here in his word is he's saying, hey, If you want to know the right way, there's actually one right way, one truth. I'm truth. I'm the right way. There's one God. There's not a lot of gods. There's one God, and you need to know that. And so in a culture of options where there's many gods and really many idols that people give their affection to, they give their attention to, God is saying, hey, there's one God, and that's me. And there's one way that's right that's going to lead to your best life long term, and that's my way. Isaiah 44, verse 8. You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No. There is no other rock. I know not one. He's saying there is no other way. I am the way. And did you notice what else he said? He said, you are my witnesses. What's he talking about saying you are my witnesses? He's talking about their history and how he's been so active in their past. He's contrasting to these other false gods saying they they can't foretell the future. They don't know the past, but I can And he reminds them of the prophecies, the things that he said would happen and they actually happened. Stories like in Genesis chapter 15 where he said, uh, this nation of Israel will be enslaved by another country for 400 years and then they'll be delivered. And that's exactly what happened. The nation of Egypt enslaved them for 400 years and then they were set free. And God knew that because he's outside of time, because he is God. And he says, you're my witnesses. You, You know the things that have happened. And I just love how the Bible, it's, it's all about faith, but God does leave us a trail. He leaves us history. He leaves us markers that point us towards him. It's like one person, Charlie Campbell said, we're not asking people to believe the Bible just because it says so. No, we, we want people to believe the Bible because it, it has a wealth of good evidence that has demonstrated that the Bible is trustworthy. Hundreds of fulfilled prophecies, thousands of archaeological discoveries, numerous details in the Bible that have been corroborated by extra-biblical historical sources, and so on. I love that. There's so many things in the Bible that you can look at and say, well, yeah, I can see how God was at work. He said this would happen, and it actually happened. So there's prophecies. And they watched this nation. They were literal witnesses as God said something would happen to them, and it did happen just like he said it would. And they were set free by the nation of Egypt who had enslaved them. Well, before they were set free in Exodus chapter 5, there's just one really interesting point here. Verse 2, it says, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. So he was not willing to submit to, to God, the one God, or to follow his way. And part of that might be because he thought he was a God himself. In their, in their culture, in their nation, the Pharaoh was considered a god, the highest of their gods, and they had a bunch of gods that they worshipped. And some scholars believe that the ten plagues that, that you can read about in Exodus, 
that, that God did on that nation to, and to allow them to set his people free. Some scholars believe that those plagues were actually associated with the gods that the Egyptian people trusted in. Just a few examples. When the, the Nile River was turned to blood, some believe that God was specifically pointing out that their Egyptian god of the Nile that they worshipped was not powerful like they thought he was. Uh, when, when he allowed their people and their animals to be infected with these festering boils, some believe that he was specifically focusing on their worship of the Egyptian goddess of medicine and peace. And he was showing that he's more powerful than that. Some believe that when he allowed the hail to rain down from the sky, that he was pointing out their Egyptian goddess of the sky couldn't protect them from that. That he's more powerful. Uh, they, they worship Ra, the sun god. And for three days, one of the plagues, the land went dark. God showed that he was more powerful. And then ultimately, the final of the, of the ten plagues, uh, they believe that Pharaoh was, their, it was known as their most powerful god, and, and, and some believe that he was uh, a son of Ra, the sun god himself, and, and, and he was in the flesh, that, that incarnate god. And all the firstborn of the nation died, including Pharaoh's own son, the bloodline of this so-called god, the, the soon-to-be, next in line to be god, God showed that he was even more powerful than their God that they trusted in the most. And in Exodus 9, verse 14, uh, you kind of get an indication of maybe why God was doing all these things to this nation of Egypt that wouldn't let Israel go. It says in verse 14, I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people. Now notice this, it's really interesting. He says, so you may know. Why did he do all this? So you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Whether he was specifically pointing in these plagues to these 10 gods or not, we don't know. But what we do know is he was saying, the reason I'm doing this is so that you will know that I am God, that my way is the right way, that I'm the one true God. It's as if God was saying, you've trusted in this God for that? Well, my name is stronger. You've hoped in that? Well, my name is more powerful. The God that you've trusted in in this area of your life, this idol, well, my name is greater than that. My name is better. My name is higher. You'll find no other name because my name is the name above all names. There is no other name. I want to encourage you to write that down. There's no other name. There's no other name. His name is above every other name, which means his ways are above every other way. We were out of town earlier this year with some friends, and I was leading in our vehicle with Jennifer and I, and they were following. And this other couple was following us as we navigated to, the, to our destination. And as we were on our way to our destination, uh, we were turning in the left-hand lane uh, to do a U-turn and then circle into the property where we were headed. And as we were waiting at this light, I realized that I was in the wrong lane. I was in the outside lane, so it was going to be almost impossible for me to get in and park where I needed to park. And so we take the light, and sure enough, I couldn't get in, and this other couple was following us. And I realized that because I had missed my turn, they had missed their turn. So, so now I'm embarrassed because i got to drive down to the end of the road, and they're following me. And they're probably wondering, where is he going? And we do a U-turn come back, But we had to do the whole thing all over again, but now in a different lane. Well, once we get on to the property, we pull in, and I realize, okay, there's a parking garage. I need to get in the parking garage. Well, I turned to go towards the parking garage, but I made the wrong turn, and I, I went down this one-way road that took me out off property back onto the main road. And the whole time they're following me, probably at this point thinking, I got to stop following this guy. He doesn't know where he's going. <laughs> and I didn't know where I was going. Well, we circle around, and we, we finally make our way back on property again, and there's two parking garages. And I start to turn toward the wrong one, and I realize it after I turn. 
And it was at that point that in frustration, I throw my hands up and I said, you know, I'm done. <laughs> Let somebody else figure it out. Like I have taken the wrong turn so many times. I'm, I'm done. And I wonder how many of us feel that way in life. Like we have tried year after year, week after week, day after day, we have tried to carve out a way for ourselves. Whatever the ambition, the drive, the desire was, we've tried to get from here to there and we've gone so many different ways. We've gone our own way and we've got to the end of that cul-de-sac. <laughs> we've gotten that roundabout and we've gone around in circles. We've hit the dead end roads and we've, we've thrown our hands up in frustration saying, there's gotta be a better way. And when God says that there's no other way, when he says, my way is the right way, he's not doing it to limit us. He's trying to prevent us from that moment of frustration at the end of our life where we say, I've tried all the ways of the world and I still feel empty. I look back with regret on my life. I haven't lived for what really mattered. He said, I want you to live for a way that will lead you to life everlasting. And not only life everlasting, but my presence, my power, that'll lead me to a place where you can experience the abundance of my love and my grace. Jesus said it himself in the New Testament, John 14, verse six. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I'm the way. <laughs> I'm the truth. There's only one way. And that's really the heart of the gospel, that there is one right way, and that way is through Jesus Christ. It's his name above our name. It's his way over our way, and it's a better way. It's a better way. His name has to become greater. My name has to become less. <laughs> it used to be that the, the biggest Amazon in the world was found in Brazil. It's no longer true. The biggest Amazon is found on the internet. You know, in our, in our generation, the, the, the name of Amazon became associated with a place that you go online to, to order Christmas presents or even order your groceries and you shop on the Amazon. But it used to be uh, historically that the Amazon was thought of as a place that you go to in Brazil. But now there's a bigger name when it comes to the Amazon. When you say Amazon, people think of the one online. One name became bigger. It became greater. It increased. And I think the heart of this teaching series is what we're trying to say is that the name above all names, God's name has to become greater. My name has to become less. It can't be about your way because your way is not best. God actually knows better what's best for you more than you do. And when I can learn to trust God enough and, and put my life into his hands and say, God, your name is higher. Your name is greater. You know better than I do. Your name is greater. And I've shared this before in the past, but I love how Andy Stanley puts it. He says, you know, when Jesus says, I am the way, a lot of people will critique that and say, well, that's very narrow. That's very exclusive to say that I'm the only way. But he says, it's actually not. There's not another way that's, that's uh, more open than what Jesus has proposed. Because if you think about it, Jesus says the price has already been paid. So it's free. It's not built on your name and what you do or all the things that you have to, to do to get into the kingdom of God. No, the gospel is Jesus has paid the price. His name did it. It's not about your name. It's what his name did for you. So it's free. And then he went on to say, it's, it's also very open to people because it's everyone comes the same way. It's not like the rich come in a certain way and the poor come in a certain way. Those who have church backgrounds come in a certain way. Those who've never been to church come a different way. No, everybody comes the same way. And then finally, all are welcome. It's not just a select few that can come. All are welcome to come, whoever. God so loved the world that whoever, whoever believes. 
So it's a very open way. It's free. Everyone comes the same way and all are welcome. What could be more fair? So to say it's not fair when Jesus says, I'm the only way, that's not understanding the totality of what God is offering. He's saying, no, this is open to everyone. I've taken care of it and everybody comes the same way. You bow your knee and you submit your name under my name and you say, I'll choose your way, Jesus. The price you paid for my sins. I receive that into my life. You're the way, you're the life. In your notes, I put it this way. Write this down. There's, there's one Savior, one truth. There's one Savior, which means there's, there's one truth. There's one reality. There's one true way. It's not a buffet I, where I choose, well, this way is right for me, and this way is right for you, and I just kind of pick and choose what I want. It's saying, God, your way is the ultimate way. We've been studying the book of Isaiah, and I want to go back to Isaiah 41, 28, where it says, but I look, and there is no one. No one among the gods to give counsel. No one to give answer when I ask them. And he's saying there's, there's no other source of ultimate guidance save one. God's, God's name. He's, he's our advisor. He's our counselor. He's the one that gives truth. And he put it in his word. He wrote it down because he wanted it to be very clear. The reason he gave us his word is because he didn't want to leave it to how you feel. What you feel is right. He didn't want it to leave it to a group decision. What do we collectively think is the right thing, right? Because what a group thinks is the right thing is not always the right thing to do, right? Have you learned that, that a, that a group decision is not always a good decision? I learned this years ago when I was a high school pastor and we were on this trip. We were staying in a, in a convention center hotel kind of a thing and, and, and I was responsible for a, a bunch of high school students and there were some other leaders there and I was gonna check in on one of the rooms of guys. I'm like, I'll just see what these high school guys have been up to and, you know, as we've checked into our room and they've had a few minutes and I go into the room and I hear all this, this grunting and cheering from all these high school guys. I'm like, what's going on? And I make my way into the bathroom and I have to kind of push my way through the crowd to get into the, the bathroom and there's all these guys huddled around and, and they're looking at one of their friends, one of the high schoolers is sitting in the bathtub and all he has on I think is his shorts and he's he's buried in ice they, they took the they took the hotel buckets for the ice buckets and they filled the bathtub up as high as it would possibly go with ice and they were taking turns sitting in the ice fully emerged timing each other to see who could last the longest in the ice you know I learned right then and there that a group decision is not always a good decision and, and you know God God gave us his word inspired by men, wrote it down, and he said, I want you to know clearly, without doubt, here is the way, here is the truth, and it's my way, and here it is, so you don't have to question it. You have to try to figure it out. You just look, you just read it and apply it. This is the way that leads to life. You know, some people question, well, how can I trust the Bible because it was written by men, and men are sinners, and so how can men write something that's true? And, and part of it is that we believe that it's inspired by God, but think about this. One person, Charlie Campbell, said, we, you know, those who question whether we can trust of the Bible is trustworthy because it's written by men, he goes, just think about it. Men have proved themselves to be able to write truth. You know, if, if we said that we had to throw out everything written by men, you'd have to throw out encyclopedias, you'd have to throw out dictionaries, you'd have to throw out car manuals. He says they're all written by men, and, and men are capable of communicating truth, especially when they have God's help, as the biblical authors did. So truth from God, inspired by people who wrote it down for him, was meant for you so you had the way, so you could see the way to God through Jesus. This is the way. Walk in it. This is true. His word is trustworthy. Write this down. God's teaching determines my opinions. My opinions don't determine truth. 
Man, isn't that good? That's what's needed in our culture. Some of us think that it's our opinions that determine what truth is, and that's got us in a world of trouble, right? We, we've been down that road. We've tried our way. We said, well, my, my opinions, what I feel like doing, what I want to do, that's what determines what's right. But it's God's teaching that determines truth, not my opinions. And I think we resist that in the flesh, right? If we're honest, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I think if you're honest, you would say, yeah, there's, there's certainly been times in my life, maybe in this season, where I'm kind of resisting some area of truth. I know what the right thing to do is what God's saying to do, but I'm kind of resisting it. And it was E. Paul Hovey who said, men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. And I think sometimes we, we reject God's truth because there's some sin in our life that we're holding on to. You know, a classic saying throughout church history is that if, you, that if you're in sin, it'll keep you from God's word. But if you're in God's word, it will keep you from sin. And it's really true because once you start to see God's way clearly and you see God clearly, you, you don't want to go another way. But when you get intoxicated with your way and determined on your path because you think that's right for you, then you start to push away the things of God and you say, well, God, no, there's another way. There's a better way. And God's saying all along, it's my teaching. It's my truth that determines reality not your opinions, because I know what's best for you. You know, it comes back to order like we've been talking about. Life really is determined by order. What's first in my life? What in any area is, is first in my life? And if, if you're living a disobedient life, delaying obedience, excusing a lack of obedience, really what it is, it's, it's, it's a change in order. You've, you've you and I have put ourselves, our name, higher than God's name. And we said, you know what? I'm going to do it my way because my way is going to turn out better for me in the end. And my order's off. I want to go back one more time to the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, down in verse 6. It says, this is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. Listen to what he says. He says, I am the first. I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. He's talking about order. He says, I am first. I am first. We were reminiscing last Sunday night as uh, one of our pastors was heading out, uh, Mark, to a, a new ministry assignment in Georgia, and we did a send-off party, and we're sharing stories from these last three and a half years with him, and it's been really fun to think back and our time in the school and the hotel and some of the transitions and changes in this new church. And, and one of the stories that came up as we were, we were sharing stories, uh, it, was, it was so fun to think back on it, which, by the way, I hope you'll spend some time with the Hartmans this week and love on them and, and let them know how much you care about them. But uh, we were, we're talking about how so many times we'd, we'd load the trucks. We had two trucks, 17-foot-long box trucks, and we filled them. Every, every, every square inch of those trucks were packed with our gear. And we'd get to the end of the day, and we'd, we'd done the services. It had been a long day. We were hot. We were sweaty. We were tired. And, and we were always racing to get to a really late lunch, 2, 3 o'clock. And, and we'd get down to those last few minutes where you're loading the truck, and it was kind of fun because once the truck was full, then you could take that ramp. These are old U-Haul repurposed trucks. You could take that ramp, and you could shove it into the truck. But there was these two metal lines that if you didn't push the ramp in hard enough, the ramp would get stuck and it wouldn't go underneath the bed of the truck. It would kind of get stuck right there. And it was always kind of a sign of strength. If you could push that ramp, if you're the guy doing it, if you could push that ramp in hard enough that it would go in through the latches on the first try. And you'd, you'd see people pushing these things and they kind of grunt as they do it like, ah, oh, yeah. And they just kind of felt strong in doing it. And, and, and then you pull that big metal door down and lock the truck up. And if you were the first one done of the two trucks, we'd have two different groups loading the trucks. If your group was done first, it was this kind of this feeling of victory. <laughs> you know, we won, we conquered, we got our truck loaded faster than you. 
And, and as we were sharing stories, it, it was kind of brought back to my attention. I remember there were so many times where in this race, we would be loading equipment and, and some of us would take stuff and we'd, we'd take some parking cones or something and we, we'd try to jam up the other crew and we'd throw stuff on the ramp of their truck, try to block their way. And then they'd put some signs on our, our ramp and we'd try to slow each other down. Why? Why we do all that? Well, we had fun, but we were trying to be first. We were trying to be first. And I, I think that's really the, the heart that you're born with, the desires, is I want to be first. I want it to be about me. I want life to be about me. I want it to go my way. I want to have the first and the last say, but God, what he's saying clearly in this teaching series, he's saying, I am first. I am the last. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. And if you'll trust my way, that my way is better than your way, then you'll find a love that's greater than anything that you can imagine. You'll find truth that's deeper and stronger and more reliable than any foundation you can build on. You'll find that God's way is actually better than your way. And that brings us to this final lesson in our teaching notes today, first love. First love, I want you to write it down, but I also want you to say it with me here in a second because this is something we do when we gathered in the high school and we are just starting out. We'd gather together in a big prayer circle like we still do to this day before our, our first morning service. And we'd gather together and at the end of our prayer time, I'd ask the team, I'd say, and why are we doing all this? Why are we setting up all these trucks? Why are we, why are we sweating together and showing up early in the morning and setting up 500 feet of pipe and drapes? And why are we pushing desks out of school classrooms and bringing in changing tables and toys for kids? And, and why are we setting up lights and sound systems? And why are we setting up parking cones? And why are we doing all this? And the answer was always the same. It was these first two words and I'm about to ask you. It was always, the answer was always first love. Because they were doing it for him. So let me ask you today, I want you to respond here in a moment, but I really first want you to think about why am I, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I traveling down the road I'm on? Why am, I, why am I trying to raise the family I'm trying to raise? Why am I after the career I'm after? Why am I living? Is it for my way or is it for a higher way? Is it for God and for his kingdom, for his glory? Is it for first love? So I want you to help me out here today. I want you to say it with me. I want, I want you in a moment when I ask you, why are you doing it for? I want you to really respond by saying first love. Are you ready? You get on the edge of your seat. Here we go. Right? Why are we doing this? That's right. First love. Now I want you to say it with a little flair this time. We're going to do it one more time because we didn't just say first love. We'd say first love. Kind of like that. Little got throw a little bit into it. First love. So are you ready? You guys ready for this? Here we go. Here we go. Why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah, you got it. That's awesome. First love. That's why we do it. For his name. His name above our name. His way above our way. Right on. Thanks again for joining us today at Church Experience Online. Please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected, learn more, get your questions answered, or support the movement financially. You're now going to hear a Church Experience Worship original song. We hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today.
Over the mountain, waiting for real. 